everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Steinman. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey toward career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. Today, Sharice and I are going to be discussing in depth about what it takes to become a dental hygienist. So I think that even if you are in currently a dental hygienist, you are licensed, you are certified for everything you've been practicing, even if you've been practicing for a long, long time, there will still be some valuable uh, little tidbits in here for you um, toward the middle and end of the podcast. We're going to discuss from before, during, after, you know, throughout the entire process of applying to dental hygiene school, of um, prerequisites, of getting in, of maintaining health while you're in hygiene school, of how to land a job when you come out, how to design your resume or your CV, how to network in order to land the job of your dreams, and what the entire process might entail, and kind of some of the things that Sharissa and I have learned during this process for both of us that, that we wish we would have known from the beginning. So this is a question that I feel we're asked constantly like, hey, should I become a dental hygienist? Um, or how do I become a dental hygienist? Is it worth it? What, what kind of money do you make? You know, is there flexibility? Are there benefits? Is there this, is there that? So that's a great place to start, you know? So um, I think that some of the first questions that anyone should ask themselves when considering becoming a dental hygienist is what are my main values and objectives? What do I value most and what's most important to me? Because just like any major life decision, um, I think that it's easy to become swayed by what other people want for us, even loving people and people who want what's best for us. You know, if we're really aware of, and we've written down and we've taken time to reflect upon what I want, what you want out of life, what's most important to you, where you want to be in five years, what that looks like for you, honestly, without the input of anyone else, without anyone else's bias or opinions, that is what's going to help us to stay on track no matter what decision we make regarding our career moves, right? So if we don't know, then what's going to happen is we're going to be we're going to have this question, what should I do? You know, is this the career for me? And then we're going to go ask the people around us. You know, we're going to start a dialogue before we know what we value and we like the most. And that's when confusion really starts, I think, is when we don't know what we want or why we're interested in this thing or what we're hoping to get or what the pros and cons are when we haven't done our own research. And then we start questioning and polling our friends because they're, you know, as much as they love us, they're coming from a place of ignorance as well. They haven't researched anything. They don't know what you want. You know, at the end of the day, we have to live our own lives. So whatever we choose to do, we get to live with the outcome of that. So I think the first thing that I would do is really research, you know, dental hygiene, um, uh, find out what it really means to be a dental hygienist um, in regards to your own values and objectives. You know, what's important to you? 
So for instance, when I was considering this as a career, I, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of help, which I think was a plus and a minus for me. I was a first generation college graduate. I went to college when I was 15 and I graduated with an AA degree when I was 18, which sounds great. And it was great to have kind of like a, a jump in time, maybe a couple of years, quote unquote, ahead, even though there's really no such thing. It's all relative. But after that, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know what I valued. I didn't know what my interests were. I didn't think that I had, you know, a passion besides painting. Um, and so I had to look at what else was important to me and kind of write those things down and really reflect on those things. So for me, I wanted to have um, flexibility. Um, I wanted to work relatively normal working hours. So I, I knew that I didn't want to do overnight. I didn't want to do weekends. I had done that in restaurants for many years while I was in college. And that was absolutely miserable for me. I didn't want that that um, that kind of life for myself. So I really wanted, um, you know, normal weeks, Monday through Friday, nine to five or somewhere around that. I wanted the ability to work part-time or full-time and flexibility to um, have a family, to start a family, to move if I have to, you know, job uh, availability. It's, it's something that we know across the United States, everyone needs dental hygienists. So some of those basic requirements were the first things that started popping up for me. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to share for me, you know, we, I had a lot of the same draws. So I had, when I was a senior in high school, I had a girlfriend who did the work study program and she spent half the day at school and half the day at a dental office. And she'd always come back and talk about her days. And I thought, gosh, that sounds really interesting. And I'd always, I love connecting with people. I love talking with people. Um, you know, as a kid, I remember, you know, we'd, we'd play, you know, house or doctor or whatever. And I was always the one who was like taking care of everybody. So I've always loved that aspect. And so the more she talked about it and I just thought, gosh, you know, growing up for me, dental experiences were always really positive. I never had a negative dental experience. And I just thought, gosh, that would be really fun. I also was drawn to team. I was so big into sports. I always loved being part of a team and part of a group. So that, you know, was appealing to me. And so when I really started looking into it and I realized, you know, I have um, an associate's degree. So I, you know, it was a two-year program, which I was like, well, this is fantastic. And I was looking at, you know, the money that could be made. But for me, I knew that overall, really, really, really what I wanted to be in life was a mom. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, gosh, the, the flexibility definitely appealed to me. You know, um, you, you could work five days, you can work two days, you can, you know, work half a day, you know, you can really tailor your schedule to what you need it to be. So that was also very appealing to me. And then, like you said, the availability, you know, knowing that you're going to be able to find something fairly easily, you know, all just made so much sense to me. Right. The demand. So, so for me, a little bit of it too, kind of the reason that I started with some of these basic needs questions is because I was raised in a household where the expectation was, you know, kind of like unspoken men go to work and women stay home and take care of the family. Um, and no, you know, shame, nothing wrong with that. If that's like how everyone wants to, if that's how you want to operate or you want your family to be modeled, I think that that's absolutely fine. But um, it was a very, it, my family was very much structured like that. My dad worked for FPL. My mom uh, stayed home for the most part. She drove the kids to soccer practice. You know, she was a stay-at-home mom. She did, uh, you know, she cleaned houses. She eventually became a realtor and did that kind of part-time, but it was always kind of like my dad had a career and my mom had, you know, whatever was available to her. She didn't really prioritize her career. And so I think some automatic thoughts that I had when I was younger, especially were one, I'm eventually going to have kids. And I never questioned whether or not that's something that I actually wanted. 
And two, you know, that um, I, I'm going to end up staying home. And then when I did question that, I definitely didn't want that. You know, like there's anyone who knows me knows, like, I am strong willed. I'm very independent. I'm, you know, I love autonomy. I love thinking for myself. I love, you know, uh, making decisions for myself. I love like freedom, basically, like, like healthy freedom things. So definitely stay at home mom was not where I wanted to go. But it took asking some of these questions to determine that very, very basic thing of like, okay, how am I going to take care of myself? What am I actually interested in? I had never even asked myself these questions before, you know, and I was homeschooled in middle and high school. So I didn't have the opportunity to do, um, you know, what is it like where you leave school early and you have, uh, you go to like a job basically. Yeah, work study program. Yeah. Yeah, work study program. So I didn't have an opportunity to do that. So I was kind of like, all right, I don't even know where to start. I have this AA degree. I don't know what that means. It's just this thing on paper. Um, so what, what do I actually like? And that's the first time I really started asking those questions and realizing that those questions were important. So whether you're starting from a much more self-aware place than I did, or whether you're starting from scratch, you can still get there. Um, just ask the questions, you know, uh, so like I said, I was a first generation college grad. I really didn't have a lot of guidance in regards to choosing my career. I wasn't sure about dental hygiene, but I felt like, uh, not being sure, had kept me stuck before and I wanted to take a chance and start heading in a direction. So I had a, a benefit of, I was dating someone at the time whose older sister was a dental hygienist and she was also adjunctive faculty at uh, two of the local uh, hygiene programs. So she was very into it. She advocated dental hygiene a lot. And she had told me, man, this is a great career. Like you should really consider this. Is this something you'd be able to do? And then she gave me the opportunity to go shadow her at her office and, um, I think that one of the biggest decisions that keeps us from pulling the trigger on starting on a journey is, you know, fear that we're making the wrong choice, but we, at the end of the day, create where we're going. And sometimes, you know, we lose the feelings and the excitement and the momentum that were present when we made an initial decision to start the journey. And then we come across people, you know, who think we're crazy, don't get it, or, or think that dental hygiene is weird, don't agree with our decisions. And that, that can really be off-putting when you don't have a person like I did, like Cindy, who became kind of like my mentor and showed me the way. And also if I wouldn't have asked those questions ahead of time. Yeah. So I think some of the things that I had working for me were I asked, what do I want? And I answered those questions honestly. And then I partnered with Cindy, you know, my then boyfriend's sister who said, yeah, come shadow at my office, come see what this is all about. I highly, you know, she highly encouraged me without being forceful or manipulative. She was just kind of like, Hey, come explore this and see if it's for you. And then she offered a helping hand. And I think that having that, having someone who's actually doing it, showing you that they're successful, telling you that they actually love it, um, you know, there to hold your hand and help you along the way to, to reach little incremental goals is so necessary to keep us on track, you know? Yeah. And I've had, I've had, I think three different um, high school students come and shadow me for, um, you know, just to see like, hey, is this something I, I think I would like? And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I don't, I'm not dating somebody whose older sister is a hygienist. Like, who do I, who do I reach out to? You know, look at some of the local offices, you know, don't be afraid to stay, stop by and just say, hey, I'm really interested in dental hygiene, but I, I want to make sure I know what I'm getting into. Would it be okay if I came and shadowed for a day or two? Yeah, this is, a, it's a very normal thing. Yeah, to yep. It's a very normal thing. And dental offices for the most part love doing that because it's a way that we give back to the community. Um, and, you know, if you have really like not, if you can't think of any resources off the top of your head, even your own dental office where you've, you know, you've had your dental care taken care of, 
for many, many years, or even if you're new there, just ask them, you know, or ask like, hey, if, if not you, do you know of a dental office in, in this area who would allow me to shadow? Because I feel like a lot of them do. There's a lot of availability for that. And there's no better way really to see if it is for you than to kind of see things working firsthand. And if you go to a dental office and you're kind of like, and eh, that's not, you know, my favorite, I didn't love certain aspects of it. I would, I would even um, encourage you to try another one, you know, yeah. go shadow yeah, somewhere else sure. and see if, if somewhere else is better. I remember when I was in hygiene school in our first semester, we had one of our, one of my classmates dropped out. Um, and I really admired her for that because her reasoning was, I did not realize there was so much blood involved. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't think that at all. And this is, I'm very squeamish and that's not for me. And so she dropped out. And so I think kind of knowing ahead, knowing ahead of time, what you're getting into is important. Yeah. And, and on that note, actually, I have a story about this because when I was shadowing Cindy, I saw um, the doctor giving an infiltration on number eight or nine, and I almost passed out. I had to sit down and go drink water. So that's how squeamish I was when I first started. So it's something that you can definitely get over if you think you are interested in it, but you're having an issue with parts and pieces of it. I encourage you to just, you know, desensitize yourself, get some repetition, see if it's really something that you can or can't get over. And then if you can't, there's no shame in it. Like you didn't waste any time. Like you just learned what wasn't for you. And then if you can, then great. Like now today I, I give injections all the time. I see a ton of blood, nothing bothers me, but before it was definitely uh, an issue for me. It, it made me lightheaded. So I think that, you know, we're starting at the basics. This is how we start really building on anything. The foundation is knowing why you're doing this, writing it down, making it visible. Um, I think it'll be crucial to your success and resilience if you choose to start pursuing dental hygiene as a career. Trust me, I think it's worth it. And it's something that most people overlook. They skip this step and then it gets, when the going gets tough, it's tough for them to remember why they're doing this. And that's often when people quit. Um, you know, a couple of experiences that I had, and this is more, you know, during hygiene school, like while, while I was in the process was, I remember, you know, not really being able to go out. I turned 21 in hygiene school. I couldn't really go out and party and like do a whole bunch of stuff that like all my friends were doing. Um, I remember even, you know, I had a full-time job during hygiene school and people thinking that I was gay because I didn't have a boyfriend for a long time. So there's like a lot of like assumptions and naysaying because I structured my life a certain way in order to be successful on this journey. And I saw my vision and my path very clearly, but it's very normal for others not to see where you're going or why, or for them not to value it the same way or to criticize you for doing something differently. So I just wanna throw out there, if you're considering dental hygiene as a career or, or switching careers in general, even if you don't ask people's opinions, you know, uh, there's a lot more talk than there, than there is action a lot of times and everyone wants to have kind of an opinion and, and share with you what they think. But just remember at the end of the day, it's your life. You need to make the decision for you. Make sure that you understand why you're doing what you're doing, what you want out of it. And so when these things happen, it's just kind of like, it's annoying, but you can, you know, continue on your path because you know why you're doing it and where you're going. So I also highly recommend getting an accountability, an accountability partner early on. So having a friend or mentor join the program with you or have them available to talk to you about some of uh, these barriers whenever you feel like quitting. Um, looking from the beginning, you know, from the application process, prerequisites, even considering it as a career, it seems like a really long road from that perspective. You know, from the end, looking back, it flew by and, and I couldn't believe when, you know, I graduated from general hygiene school that it was already over. Um, but having those people to kind of like have your back, encourage you to move forward in those, in those uh, basically when you have the chance or opportunity to quit or to keep going, like we need those people 
on yeah. our side to have our back remind us of our why, you know, yeah, those cheerleaders. And it, like you said, it's super helpful. If it's somebody who's already been through that process, if it's a hygienist, you know, ahead of you to say, Hey, I know this is hard. I remember that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to look back and this is going to be seem like a blip. And, right. you know, I just think, cause it is, it's very daunting when you think about, like you said, even from the beginning of the prerequisites getting there and then taking boards at the end and having to get mm -hmm. your instruments and having all the clinic hours and having to get the, the right amount of patients and, you know, all the different services checked off. And I mean, it's a lot, but clearly they've got a good system in place to make it all come together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's that saying of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. So know that it is a process and it's a journey just like life. And you're, you don't have to do it all at once. It's, it's a process and you're going to have classmates with you doing it together. And yeah. honestly, that was one of my biggest helps because we really formed a very tight um, study club friendship where, you know, we would the night before really big exams, we would all stay together at somebody's house and, you know, cram all night or, you know, deep into the morning hours before the test. And it was just like that, that whole team collaboration of we, we got this and we carried each other. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. The transition from hearing your friends and your family's opinion to when you're in that boat with all the people who are on that same journey with you is a hard step it's a hard step because you can't see that that's what's on the other side when you get into the program, you know, but just know that there's going to be people who are in it with you, who are going to empathize, who are going to be there to study with you and help you along the way. So if someone is not really supportive in your dream or your goal of becoming a dental hygienist, just know that you can still do it. It's your life. Um, and then I highly, you know, recommend we all, we all make really emotional decisions. I think a lot of the times like we commit to going to a party when we're feeling awake, you know, when it comes to like the day of showing up to that party, we might feel tired and not feel like going anymore, but we made a commitment to go to the party. So we make decisions about our careers and other things the same way. We might have an emotional like high or emotional excitement or, or something uh, connecting us to that final goal because it's really like romanticized in our mind, like, oh, becoming a dental hygienist, you know? I, you know, getting started is the hardest part, but also what I recommend and what I've realized have been the biggest uh, help for me along any path or achieving any long-term goal is just putting things on the schedule and then just showing up, even if I don't feel like it, because then it's done, it's done. That part of the journey is done. And some things, you know, are exciting and great and you enjoy every single moment. And some things are just like, I just got to cross this off the list. It's not my favorite. It's part of the process and I'm just going to do it. So I encourage you to, you know, just show up and you make progress, eventually you reach your goal and decide early on whose opinion matters to you. Develop your circle of friends. Who's going to be that support system. You're setting yourself up for success. I can't stress that enough. Um, two examples of when I wish I would have done this better were hygiene school. Um, my Parents were very supportive. Uh, I think that my sisters were supportive, just none of them really knew how to support me. But there were a lot of naysayers in regards to people that I worked with and people saying like, why are you studying? Like, why don't you ever go out? Like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Or, you know, that's too much. It's too expensive. It's too this, it's too that. Um, you know, I didn't really have voices of reason around me. So I felt defeated a lot of, a lot of the time and just like chose to keep going forward. But it, it would have been a lot easier if I had surrounded myself with people who were empowering and uplifting and who were helping me along the way. Another example that I can think of is when I had orthognathic surgery. Like I wasn't so severe that people looked at me and said, oh yeah, there's something wrong. You know, lay people were like, yeah, you know, there's something, but I can't figure out what it is really. And even dental people were like, yeah, but it's not that bad. 
you know, I had to ask myself over and over again, like, what's important to me? Why am I doing this? Because it was a hard decision to make to go back into traditional brackets and braces in my mid twenties, you know, and have people like, why are you doing that? You know, like, what are you doing? Your teeth aren't that bad and your jaw's not that bad and your bites, blah, 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 whatever. And a lot of those people, you know, there's a lot more talk than there is knowing. So a lot of those people aren't educated enough to know like, okay, yes, there is something functionally wrong here. There will be long-term ramifications if I don't do this, um, but still disheartening, you know, even my family didn't support me on my orthognathic journey, really. They thought I was crazy and, and they were, you know, being kind. They were like, oh, you look so beautiful. You don't have to do that. And, and I had the education to know, like, yeah, it's, it's about aesthetics, but it's also largely about function and long-term. Like, do I want to suffer little by little slowly over a long period of time and not enjoy the way that my face looks for the rest of my life? For me, the answer was no. So I had to decide for me what the answer was. And that way, when all of that stuff came against me, I was like, okay, this is why this is important to me. I'm going for it. I'm going to ignore it. And this is my end goal. And eventually I did it. So 2014, I went into braces. End of 2015, I think I had orthognathic surgery and then, you know, six weeks or so of recovery and I never had to do it again. Yeah. You know, but um, I knew what I wanted and where I was going. It just would have been a lot easier to have more support than I did. I didn't intentionally design my support system. For sure. Well, and I think what you're talking a lot about is what we talk a lot about all the time is, you know, really being grounded and anchored in your why. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to step into hygiene school and you're going to step toward being a hygienist, you really want to know why you're doing that and really be grounded in those reasons. Because in reality, hygiene school is very hard. Very tough. Um, it's very time consuming. It's, it pretty much consumes everything for those two to three years. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got to be fully, fully grounded in that because just like in hygiene, once you are a hygienist, there are going to be things that bump up against your career. There's going to be doctors that are difficult to work with, team members that are difficult, difficult to work with, patients that tell you, I hate coming here. You know, I mean, there's just all the time constraints. There's so much that you got to deal with. So it's constantly just being grounded in why you're doing what you're doing. And in so much so that when you face the hard, you're, you don't turn and run. Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists, it's Brittany and Charissa, and we are thrilled to announce that it's finally here, our comprehensive online mastery course. If you're anything like us, you know that hygiene is more than just a job, it's more than just a paycheck, and it's a whole lot more than just cleaning teeth. It's our calling. If you're ready to take the deep dive, become a top 1% hygienist, and move from going through the motions to loving what you do every day, boosting treatment acceptance, taking communication and team building to the next level, this course is designed for you. Master all the tools you'll need to make our successes your own. Everything from mindset and culture, team organization and calibration, to individualized best practices and verbiage for success, it's all there. Earn five CEs while building your own bulletproof hygiene practice with our proven methodology. To find our course, go to bph.dental and click courses on the left-hand side for all the details. So some things to know about dental hygiene profession is that it's, it is like Sharice was just saying, it's a very intense profession. It's emotionally and physically very demanding. And I feel that in order to have uh, success in school and success in your career in the real world, you've got to have good balance and good habits in place regarding taking care of yourself, your nutrition, your mental health, um, your physical health, you know, making sure that you've, you are practicing and keeping good habits 
before, during, and after school. So if you do yoga before you go to hygiene school, make time to do yoga during hygiene school and continue doing it after hygiene school. You know, if you're good at hydrating, uh, you know, keep hydrating during hygiene school, do it after hygiene school. Um, a little bit further down, I'll tell you about some of my mistakes during hygiene school that I don't recommend, you know, and some of those were just straight up um, ignoring and not taking care of my physical and mental well-being. You know, I ran myself to the point of exhaustion. If I could do it again, I would not do it the same way. I worked full-time during hygiene school because I was concerned about bills and taking uh, loans. But honestly, and honestly, I'm really happy to say, you know, I didn't take loans, but the neglect to myself was so significant that I wouldn't do it the same way. Yeah. I was just going to say, Britt, I, I honestly am not really sure how you did that. Yeah. When you said you worked full-time, I was kind of like, whoa, I... I can't even imagine that. So kudos to you that you got through it, but yeah. Kudos slash don't be like, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's very, very intense. It can be tough to find, uh, it, can, it can eventually be tough to find your full-time dental home. Just this is kind of like a, a big picture pre-frame of kind of what you can expect. The program is full-time and I wrote plus, plus, plus because it's, you know, you've got a lot of community service hours you've got to fulfill. Um, You've got a lot of studying you have to do outside of class hours. You've, you know, just recovering emotionally, recovering mentally. It takes, it takes a lot of energy and effort to go through this program. Uh, for most people, it's difficult to work while attending this intense program. And um, that's because of what I was just talking about, you know, especially if you get involved in community government, um, you become, you know, class president, VP, treasurer, secretary. Those are all good experientially, but I don't recommend taking them on if you are already struggling with time management or exhaustion or finding uh, school life balance. So that's another thing that I did. I didn't take care of myself. You know, I wasn't eating well. I wasn't staying hydrated. I wasn't sleeping well. I was working full time and I was also the class president. So tell me how helpful I was to like anyone, probably no one, right? I'm like barely surviving myself saying yes to more things than I, than I should have. So a lot of people, I think, look at that and they're like, oh my God, that's so impressive. Like it, it really is not like, it really wasn't self-care. You know, I it really was a hypocrite when I was telling patients to take care of themselves. So it's not worth the burnout and the fatigue and the misery and at the end of the day, just remember, you have to be a priority. Take care of yourself. Don't burn out in hygiene school. There's a lot more work to be done after you graduate. Trust me. Right. And, you know, I one thing, one point I want to make is I don't want, get, want people to get discouraged when applying to because there are definitely number limitations of how many students they accept each year. Right. And I remember for me, and granted, I know this was a long time ago, um, my, the school I was attending, they accepted 26 students per year at the mm -hmm. time. And I remember I was just like devastated that I didn't get in my first year. But looking back, that was really a silver lining because I took that year and I worked full time and saved all of that money so that when I went into hygiene school, I didn't have to work. I and I ended it. up working. I had a friend who worked at a dental lab and she said, hey, we have a physician. Do you want to come in? And I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. I could get to know a little bit about, you know, you know, crowns and bridges and that sort of thing. So um, but I just, I know a lot of times I've talked to a lot of, um, applicants that get really discouraged because they don't make it in that first year. So if that happens, you know, find a way to work somewhere in a dental kind of aspect and gain a little bit of knowledge, but save some money so that when you go to school, you're, you're a little more set up. Right. And just so you know, it's a very normal experience to knock it in the first time. It's a yeah. very normal experience because the, you know, 
as far as I know, they only accept 24 people per year in any of the programs that I've heard of locally, you know, unless it's a bigger school or a university or something. I went to Palm Beach State College and I know that their max is 24 per year. I was very fortunate to get in the first year, you know, and it just, it worked out to where I was finishing prerequisites. I got in the first year um, and then got started. But honestly, I think that's a great way to use that time. If you don't get in the first time around, just think, what can I do with this time? I don't have a choice about starting school earlier, but I have a choice about what I do with my time for the time being, right? So that's a great idea. You know, in that time, you can continue shadowing at a dental office. You can get a front office position and start understanding insurance more. You can go to a dental lab. There's so many different parts of dentistry that you can become more experienced in in that time. Yeah. Um, and saving money. That that's a great thing because that made it a lot less stressful for yeah. you. And yeah. you were able to focus on studying, which is great. You learned probably better than I did because you got to focus on and give your whole attention to studying for hygiene school. And on the flip side, like I said, even though I was really um, sad and upset that I didn't make it in, I understood the value mm -hmm. of only accepting 24, 25, 26 students mm -hmm. a year, because that meant to me on the flip side, you know, they're not sending a hundred hygienists out every year. So that meant that it kept the job market, you know, more tight and that I would be more guaranteed to find a position when I was done. And that, that happened right out of school. I had a job right away. Right. And wow. during school, like they're only focusing on 24 people instead of hundreds of people. Like you get a right. lot of one-on-one -on -one mentorship and training and feedback, you know, that's something that is, is rare. You know, that's not common in any profession. Very valuable. Yeah. So something that just to be aware what you can look at in regards to fees for dental hygiene school, um, associate degree average, if you get an AS in hygiene, it's about uh, 4,600. I don't know if that's per year or per semester, to be honest with you. That's in-state for dental hygiene program. And it's between 10,000 and 21,000 if you're out of state for an associate's degree in dental hygiene. If you're getting a bachelor's degree, I think this is annual. Uh, it's an average of 20 to 27,000 a year. Um, and that's in-state and out-of-state is between 36 and 99,000. So you can choose to do the in-state thing that, that makes a lot more sense for some people. And really, you know, it is important what school you go to, but there are a lot of state schools, a lot of local schools that have great dental hygiene programs. So don't overlook something just because it's a, a state college or community college or a two-year college instead of a four-year college. Um, I graduated with my AS and then I went back and got my BASDH online, you know, years after starting practicing. Getting an AS and doing it that way is a great way to start repaying debt if you have any, you know, you can start working and start learning and then go back and do it online. It's, they make it very, very easy for you to do while working full-time. So um, don't be afraid of this investment. If you are confident in your why, it's going to be worth it. And it is so rewarding and it does get easier on the other side. I promise. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that Sharissa can, uh, can validate this. And, yes, and I agree. agree. So in regards to getting a four-year um, four degree from a university in dental hygiene, you are looking at uh, a lot of specific science-based credits uh, and prerequisites, just like if you're getting a two-year degree. So some things that you'll have to take before applying to the dental hygiene program are things like microbiology, anatomy and physiology one and two plus the labs, intro to organic and organic and biochemistry plus lab, nutrition, psychology. And I think there are a few others uh, that are kind of different per school. Um, if you are trying to get that bachelor's degree, you're also gonna to have to do a lot of general education courses. A lot of these are like composition, college algebra, um, 
uh, drama and arts and history, American government, and um, and then specifically some more specifics. This is just a, a latter part of the list. Uh, sometimes statistics is required as a prerequisite before applying for hygiene school. Like I mentioned, chemistry and nutrition and, and psychology are part of it. Some uh, require other electives and computer application uh, classes and, and that sort of thing. So during RDH school, so you apply, you finally get in, and now it's a whole different state of overwhelm, right? So first you're overwhelmed with the prospect of taking on a new career, changing your career path, and who's going to have your back, and how am I going to get in? Finally, once you apply and you're successfully in the dental hygiene program, it's a whole separate uh, layer of questions now and challenges that begin. So my advice would be, you know, take this program one step at a time, one day at a time. Like Sharissa says, you, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? There's no other way to do it without losing your sanity. So for health purposes and to make sure that, you know, you're ingesting as much of the information as possible, you've got to just do it one by one, one day at a time. And I highly recommend that you utilize all the resources available to you. A lot of the schools are great about uh, creating mentorship programs. So we had a program at Palm Beach State that was like big brother, big sister. Um, a person who was a second year would be assigned to mentor us as we came in as first years. And that was really helpful to me. You know, I talked to my mentor about what, I'm, what I was struggling with, if I was struggling. Um, and, and when I'm sharing those things, if I'm sharing it with my classmates or with my mentor, you can bet that someone else is struggling with the same thing. You know, they've been through it, pick their brain, use that resource. Don't feel like you can't be honest because everyone's going to feel better when you're honest. You're going to get the help that you need. You just have to ask for it and use the resources that are available to you. And I don't mean this uh, going forward in a, in a rigid sense, but eating wise, um, I think that we all, by the time we're old enough to go to dental hygiene school, we know kind of what foods work for our bodies and don't. I don't think that diets are a one size fits all, but for me, you know, I try and maintain the 80-20 rule, eating in a way that I know is healthy for my body and agrees with my body 80% of the time and 20% of the time, maybe I do, you know, the dessert or I have a cocktail or something. Don't be rigid and don't seek perfection in regards to this, especially in a high stress uh, situation like going through hygiene school because one perfection isn't even attainable when you're not in hygiene school it's definitely not going to look any closer to perfect when you're in this really tough situation of trying to navigate a lot of things at once so i highly recommend you know seek progress not perfection make the next best decision regarding what you're eating if you're drinking water if you're getting enough sleep meaning don't say okay i'm gonna wait till next week to start eating well again you know, don't do the New Year's resolution thing. If you ate like crap last week, just start right now from this meal. Doesn't matter if you ate breakfast and lunch crappy. If it's dinner time, make a better decision for dinner time and then carry it on into the next day. You know, there's no such thing as perfect. It's all about feeling good. It's all about the cumulative effect of these things. So just make sure that you are aware and cognizant of these things because they make a huge difference about how we maintain and information, like as we're learning, how we are able to adapt in the clinic and learn these new physically exerting, like exerting energy, learn these new skills. Um, and even our mood, you know, just keeping the right mood. This is, it's very trying and testing. It's all very challenging. So making sure we're in a good state of mind involves the basics, eating, drinking, sleeping. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've all probably experienced that, like you said, knowing what works for you is important we probably have all experienced some brain fog mm -hmm. when we have, um, you know, eaten something that's not great for us. And like you said, having that clarity is really, really important. You're trying to 
take in so much new information that, you know, you, you want to be at the top of your game. One thing I want to say too, as you lean on each other, as, on your classmates, like you're going through a lot of very different information um, and you're not going to be good at all of it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. We are all wired very differently. I will never be a pharmacist. The pharmacology class kicked me in the butt. I could not stand it. I mean, my classmates got me through it. Chemistry is not my jam. Now I loved the anatomy portion. I loved the, the, uh, the final we did um, in dental anatomy where we had to you know, walk up and pick up a tooth off the table and be able to tell you what number tooth that was. Like, I thought that was really fun and, and you know, geeky and sciencey. And you know, I had classmates who hated that. Um, I remember when we learned to take impressions, you know, and we're gagging each other in the, in the clinic and people are throwing up and some of us were really good at that. And some of us were not so good at that. And, you know, it's terrifying that you're letting somebody for the very first time use a very sharp, sharp instrument in your mouth. Like there's, there's a whole lot of different things that go on. And so like Brittany's saying, perfection is not a reality. Cut yourself a lot of slack, give yourself a lot of grace. You're not going to be good at all of it. And here's a little secret for you. The long-term is what we call practicing dental hygiene, mm -hmm. which means you're not going to leave school having it all together. Yes. You're not going to practice the first five years and have it all together. You're not going to practice 25 years, says the girl who's been doing it and have it all together. Like it's a practice. It's a constant journey and it's constant growth. So mm -hmm. give yourself a lot of grace in the process. Yeah, it's perpetual practice. And that's kind of a relief. Like, listen, we're, we're in the medical field, like things are always developing. There are always things that we don't know yet. Things that we learn that change, you know, standards change all the time. We are constantly going to be practicing and learning. And what Teresa was saying about, you know, certain people being better at certain things and better at other things rings true in the real world too, you know? And, and conversely, if you try something for the first time in hygiene school and it goes terribly, it doesn't mean that you will never be good at that thing. No. Remember, it's practicing. It does take repetition. It takes muscle memory. It takes uh, sleeping on the information to really organize what it means and make sense of things. So just give yourself some grace. Just show up every day, do your best. And that's really all that you can do. And it's going to, and guess what? Those habits, like having that mentality is going to follow you into the real world too. And that's what you're going to need to be successful in the real world. Yeah. I have to tell one quick, funny story. So whenever my husband comes now to get his teeth cleaned and I'm taking bite wings on him, literally every time now, when I take his bite wing, he's like, Hey lady, you've gotten really good at this. And it's like this joke we have because he was my FMX uh, exam patient for my final exam. And this was again, back in the dark ages where we used a developing, you know, dark room. Yep. So as you're taking your x-rays, you don't know if you got open contacts right away, you know, you got to wait to develop it all and see. So I was literally crying while I was taking his FMX. And he's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing this right and I might fail this. And he's like, calm down, take some breaths. You're gonna do great. Just, you know, you got this. So now when I take his x-rays, he likes to joke with me and be like, wow, you've gotten really good at this. I think that part of the moral of the story is that there's a lot of crying in dental hygiene school. <laughs> yes, there is. Because there's so much crying. I cried and y'all are gonna think I'm like making this up, but like, have you ever felt like you did so bad on an exam that you're like, I don't even know what has become of my life. Like, I cannot believe that I just bombed that so bad. And then you get the results back and it either is or it isn't. There was a test that I 
like studied for for the longest time and it was about different types of fluoride ironically and different types of products which still are like overwhelming to me because there's so many um but it was an exam that just i felt like completely kicked my butt i was crying taking the exam i was like oh my god i don't know any of the answers even though i had studied and i had read everything that i needed to read and i left the class as soon as i was done taking the test because i was like bawling my eyes out right so we get the results back and my teacher just like shakes her head at me and she's just like here and i got a hundred and people i swear to god i really thought i truly i'm not i'm not like kidding I didn't, I wasn't like faking it. Like I wasn't like, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I really do. I thought I bombed that thing. So two lessons there. One, everyone's a moron sometimes. Two, everyone cries in dental hygiene school. And three, don't freak out. Everyone's bombed something or felt like they bombed it. So it's okay. That was my same story with the national boards. I left them, got in my car and just sobbed and called, yeah. called my fiance at the time and was like, I totally just failed this. And I got a high A. So yeah, I'm with you. awesome. My na my national boards, I had like a complete meltdown the night before, and my roommate had to talk me off a ledge. Just yeah. all the stress of studying and the working and all the things, but I made it. I passed. It's okay. And look at us well, now. You will all make it too. You will all make it too. Don't worry. So one of the reasons I think that I I personally passed is because I had a study buddy. And it's something that I highly recommend because it's an accountability partner and someone who you can, you know, set dates with ahead of time so that it's on the calendar. Studying time is set aside so you're not likely to procrastinate and just not do it. You have someone who's going to show up and do it with you. Um, so I kind of like made friends with someone at the very beginning of class. Her name is Kristen. She was definitely my plus one, my best friend in hygiene school um, through the entire thing. And we studied together every single weekend. Um, I recommend having up to two study buddies, meaning no more than three people in a group, because if it becomes bigger than that, it kind of becomes like a party or more of a social situation. So I don't recommend doing that. Like definitely um, be focused on the goal, which is to study and get the most out of the session together. I'm going to argue with you for two seconds. Oh, geez. What? Because I had a group of, I think we were five or six, but we were- How did that go? How did it go? Great. Great. Like we were all really serious about it. Like I said, we would kind of alternate whoever's house we were staying at because we would like spend the night before a really big exam. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of figured out what worked best for us. Like we knew like I am not your late night girl. So I would like be like, peace out, you guys keep going. And I would get up super early the next morning. But we just kind of knew the routine and, and it worked for us. So, you know, just I think it just depends on the dynamics of how serious people are, you know. We weren't staying up drinking. Well, we were, that's when I started drinking coffee was in college because I did need to be more of a, a late night girl. But yeah, mm -hmm. so I think you just have to figure out for you, again, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule, but I think, like you said, it needs to be somebody that you're going to be serious with right. that, that learns the same way you do. Because if you have very different study habits, that's probably not going to be a great fit. But just kind of learning that early on so that you can traverse the, the years together. So Sharissa, being that that's the case, yeah, I 100% think like all of this stuff is according to what works best for each person. Yeah. So since you were successful with like a bigger group of people, what do you think like made it successful? Like, I'm sure it was partially the people that you included in it because it wasn't like, it was probably people who wanted to study and like get right. things done, obviously. It couldn't be like, oh, it's just hang out kind of thing. But what do you think made it successful with so many people? I think all of us, I think it was that relationship. We all cared a lot about each other. We wanted to see each other succeed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were times where some of us would break down crying and the others, us, the others would encourage. Um, but we were all very serious about what we were doing. We were 
all very certain of where we wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So we were each other's cheerleaders. So I think it was, you know, we weren't now granted, we had a lot of fun together too outside of studying. Mm -hmm. But when it came to studying, we were all really serious. Like the plan was to study, that was oh, yeah. study time. It yeah. was like yep. studying. And then like you would set fun time aside on a different day. Yes. Got it. Got it. Yeah. My thought, so my concern and, and like in the past, I know my experience has been like, it becomes a party. I've oh, got it. A lot of people. And I think for me, my experience was like, I picked a person, we both knew why we were there. I think it was just like less to feel like anyone had to manage or keep anyone like on track because she was a very focused person also. And I was very focused during hygiene school too. Um, but yeah, that's cool. That's cool to hear that that worked for you too. Okay, so I recommend in regards to frequency of studying together, I think it's helpful to do it one to two times per week and then having your own like independent or individual study. Um, and I think studying the, some of the main benefits of studying with others is everyone learns in a different way and studying is so dynamic, like in the way that you communicate information and the way that you interact with each other and the way that you repeat things. Um, so like talking out loud with other classmates regarding what you're studying helps everyone to commit it to memory because you're saying it and you're hearing it. So that's two different things. You're talking and you're listening. And if you're taking notes, then you're writing too, you know? So repetition is the key and diversifying the ways that you're experiencing the information is key too. So um, the way that Kristen and I did it is we would go to Starbucks literally for eight hours every Sunday, study for all the upcoming tests. Uh, we would use the review material, anything that our uh, instructors gave to us, read through the chapters, highlight things and share out loud what we thought was relevant. And that sort of conversational thing and note taking during that, I think helped us to retain a lot of information. And also, you know, part of the benefit of being in class, like, so the difference, the main differences between being in a class and taking like an online course of some sort is that you get to gauge kind of like how well you're doing in regards to the entire class. And it's not like a a comparison for the sake of I'm better than you or you're better than me, but it's a human thing. That's like what we do in our relationships and our tribe too, to help know, help us to know, like, are we behind? Are we ahead? How are we doing like overall? So hearing others talk would make me more comfortable. Like, oh, I have the same question. You know, like, I don't, I don't feel like a weirdo. I don't feel like I'm failing. I have the same question too, or you have the same question, or you answered my question by doing that. I didn't, or I didn't even know that was a question. And now I know, you know, there's a lot of benefits to studying with others. So, otherwise, you know, if you're working, we've talked about working during hygiene school. If you're working, I recommend doing it part-time if possible. And again, you know, I don't recommend doing what I did. At the end of hygiene school, I had issues with burnout. I was very emotional. I had candida, digestive issues, fatigue, exhaustion, and, and anemia. So make sure to keep that, the work-life balance um, in regards to drinking the water, your diet, um, and even socializing with others, just like find some balance. So don't be like me. Um, I do recommend having a master schedule to plan out your whole semester once you have your syllabi uh, for, the, um, for the upcoming eight or 16 weeks. So have a master schedule where you put in all the dates for all the classes so you don't have to continue flipping through all those pages and try, and try to keep track of everything that you have to be on top of or be prepared for for the coming weeks. If you have a master schedule, you can just look at that. It takes a lot of mental stress and weight off because you're not trying to memorize and remember all, all of the stuff that's upcoming. You have it written on paper and that frees up your ability to learn new information and take in new information. So you can learn better when you're less distracted by basic things like when's the test coming up. So after you are done taking all the classes, 
completing all of the requirements in clinic, uh, crying a lot, studying a lot, doing all the things. Um, you still have four boards to take, right? So you have the clinical boards, the national board, the, the prometric, the laws and rules um, exam. And also sometimes I think that there are separate certifications for local anesthetic or nitrous or laser. I don't know how those particular things play into uh, boards or becoming licensed. I, I actually became certified to administer local anesthetic after I graduated. So I don't know what that would have looked like in the curriculum or if that would have been a separate certification. So when you graduate, it's time now to vamp up your CV or your resume, vamp up your confidence and definitely, definitely don't minimize how far you've come. You know, I think a lot of times as new grads, we feel like I don't know anything. Like I'm, you know, enough to know that you know very little, but don't, you know, minimize what you actually do know. You've overcome a lot at this point. You're a smart person. You have put a lot of intentional effort and planning into being successful through the dental hygiene program. Now you've graduated, you've passed your boards, you know, don't be afraid to be proud of that and show that in your interviews, you know. Um, if you already had a hygiene mentor during school, I highly recommend sticking with them. Or if you didn't, or, or you know, life is necessitating changes for different people, get a new hygiene mentor. We can all learn from others who have been doing this longer than us. Um, I have my own hygiene mentors. I pick their brains all the time at Spodak. Um, so get one. It's very helpful in the transition to finding a job and moving forward. So a lot of times landing a job, I've heard so many people say that it is, it's difficult to find a full-time job, or I haven't been able to find benefits, or, you know, I can't find my dental home. And that has all the, the, that ticks all the boxes in regards to what I'm looking for long-term. And I think that that's true to some extent. It can be challenging to find a full-time dental hygiene position, but it's definitely not impossible. And it really does depend on how much work and effort you want to put into finding your dream job. I truly, truly believe that. I truly mean that. I worked as a temp and a part-time hygienist. I was filling in for someone who was away on maternity leave for the first year that I was out of school. And the way that I landed my first full-time job was I went door to door in uh, my community and I handed out, I, I went to like different dental offices and physically handed my resume to them, introduced myself and asked if they were, you know, hiring, asked for them to contact me. You know, I put on a smile, I put my best foot forward and did that. And, and, at the same time, a lot of my colleagues who graduated at the same time were saying, oh, it's impossible to find a full-time job. I can't find anything, you know, but I eventually was given an interview and I was hired and I had a full-time position with benefits and 401k and all of those things. So just because others are saying it's difficult or they can't find it, it doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means there is work to do to achieve what you want, just like you've been doing since before you started the hygiene program. So it's nothing new. It's just the next step. So a lot of the time landing your dream job too is about who you know and how you present yourself as well. So my job at Spodak came two years after being like I just described, you know, a part-time temp. And then for a year, I was full-time with an office that I wasn't crazy about, wasn't in love with, but I used it as a learning experience and learned what I could um, while I was having, while I was at those offices, you know, I knew that none of them were my long-term home, but there is something to be learned by all of those experiences, right? So I, I learned as much as I could in each of those positions, you know, and some of them are really, really challenging. Like I, I know that I've shared before at my full-time position, I had 45 minutes per patient. There were no historic perio charts. When I came in, I had to start doing perio charts from scratch. Uh, medical histories hadn't been updated in years and years. I started updating medical histories. You know, I started educating patients about perio 
essentially the doctor, you know, started having my back and got on board and we kind of almost converted it to a perio office because we see a bunch of retirees who had had untreated perio for a bunch of years. And then this new grad comes on and I'm taking this thing from scratch. So that was a, an immense, enormous learning experience for me, even though it wasn't my long-term dental home. So I, I learned about time management. 45 minutes is not a lot of time to do a lot of the recare stuff. Um, I learned about, you know, not having the best hygiene equipment and just doing the best with what I had. I learned about communicating to patients. Uh, I learned about communicating with, de with dentists and from dentists to patients and what that looked like um, when I wasn't necessarily on the same page with the dentist. You know, it was very, it was a very sensitive time. I had to do that very carefully and cautiously in a way that I was respectful to the dentist license and the safety of the practice, but also the rights of the patient and the safety of the patient. So there's a lot that I learned about communicating with patients and the dental team and doctors in those situations. So I eventually went to uh, a continuing education cruise, as cool as that sounds, it really was actually a lot of fun. In South Florida, uh, we have this like cruise CE thing that happens, I think, annually. And during this cruise, I ran into an old friend of mine. She graduated the year behind me in dental hygiene school. So I knew her from Palm Beach State College. And she said, Brittany, I just joined this incredible practice. It's down in Delray Beach. Uh, it's, you know, they're building this facility right now. So she was at the old office, which was very small and didn't have windows. And was just kind of like in a strip mall type of thing. And she said, we were building this huge, um, I think it's 16,000 square feet facility. It's lead gold certified. It's, you know, tons of natural lighting. It's, um, it's just this incredible place. You know, the culture is awesome. We do, we partner for specific cultural training. The team is great. Like I was just telling you all these things, benefits, 401k, time off, all the things. And I was definitely intrigued, but I also lived, you know, e even this opportunity was kind of like, a, I'm not sure if that ticks all the boxes because that was 45 minutes away from where I was currently living. And I had a job that was about 10 minutes away from my house. And I already had, you know, all the benefits, the 401k, all the things, but I knew that I was comfortable in my current job, but I knew also that long-term, that's not where I wanted to end up. That's not where I wanted to call home. So I was willing to take the opportunity and at least drive down there and meet some people and have a chat to see if where it would go. So Janet arranged um, an interview for me. And thankfully, you know, I went in the first day, I was hired on the spot full time. So I started moving Monday through Thursday. And then the story is not that I lived happily ever after. It's that I got my butt kicked. There was a lot more crying. There were a lot more challenges, a lot more than I had to learn, you know, as much as I had learned in my first two years of experience practicing. This was a whole different ball game. It was a multi-specialty practice, um, a lot of moving parts, a lot of high level expectations and procedures done there. It's a high pressure environment that I really had to step up my game to adapt to. So Sponak is definitely my home. You know, it doesn't, it, but, it, but it wasn't smooth and it wasn't easy. And some days it's still very challenging, but I can say without a doubt, because we have such aligned values and vision and um, believe in taking the very best care of the patient, that that is where I want to be long-term. So don't get discouraged. You know, if your first or second or third, you know, offices aren't your long-term dental home, keep looking. I encourage you, keep looking, keep being curious. Don't write something off just because it doesn't check all the boxes. You can make it work. Eventually, when I found that I wanted to, you know, I accepted the job at Spodak and I began working full time, I first was commuting for the first two years. And then after that, I moved down south. So now I'm about 15 minutes away and it was definitely worth the move. I love where I am. 
but you know, don't write off an opportunity that might be great just because of one or two factors that aren't ideal because it might become ideal. There's opportunity in the future. Yeah. And I think there's, like you said earlier, you know, it may be in, in a situation that's not ideal, but there's a lot of opportunity for growth. I remember for me, when I got out of school, I was very blessed. I had a friend at church who kept saying, hey, when you graduate, you have to come work at this office because I've been a patient there. He is the best dentist. He is just so awesome. You're going to love him. I've been telling him about you. Like you, you have to go work there. So I went and interviewed and they hired me on the spot. And I actually was still waiting for my license to come in. It was, I just graduated in the summer. So they hired me on just to work in the front until my licensure came in. And then I started hygiene and my finding, and I've heard this a lot before, it's, it's awkward at first because you're so used to the hygiene regimen of having the instructor come check you at every point in the process. So all of a sudden you get in the chair and you're like, wait, there's nobody over my shoulder. Like nobody's checking everything single moment that I'm doing. So it was like, you have that kind of uncertainty at the beginning of like, wait, am I doing all this right? You know, my, my doctor's just coming in, you know, either in the middle or at the end, and I'm not sure about this. So just know that, you know, you're going to have that uncertainty a lot throughout the profession because things are constantly changing and shifting and growing and the research is, you know, finding new things. So know that this is not one of those professions where you get in and you're like, yep, I'm good. And I'm just going to stay in my lane. Like hope you can do that. And you're probably going to not, not find a whole lot of fulfillment, but it is one of those very dynamic professions that things are changing and growing. And, you know, that's somebody to consider in the beginning, like, Hey, this is something where you're going to have to adapt to change frequently. Um, and, and hopefully you think that's fun, but there's a lot at the beginning where you, you, it's okay to say, I don't know. And like Brittany said, find that hygienist ahead of you that will help you figure it out. Yep. And just like, you know, finding an office to shadow, I think that there are a lot more than you probably think there are who, are who would be willing to help you and collaborate. Obviously, Sharice and I are two of them and we are available. You know, we talk about our mighty network all the time, but that's one way that you can really connect with us throw ideas out, you know, we can kind of like mess around with different outcomes, different ideas, um, what's working well for one person versus another person, you know, help, help each other troubleshoot things, especially if you're a lone hygienist, you know, you're in the office and you're the only hygienist at your location. That was me in my first full-time position. That's a really tough place to be because it's kind of like that check thing. Like, how am I doing? I don't even know how I'm doing. Are things going well? Or if I need help, who do I ask? You know, so please, that being said, you know, plug in with us on our Mighty Network. You can download the app. It's called Mighty Network and search Bulletproof Hygiene. And that is an open forum for any of this type of thing. If you have questions or thoughts or second guessing something or just or just want to see what's working well for something for someone else. And on the note of making things fulfilling and interesting and keeping it fun, it's really important that once we're practicing, once we're in our career, we've overcome a lot, we feel like we're in the groove, we've got this thing going, um, we figured out what works for us, make sure to reflect, reflect back at the journey, reflect on why we're doing what we're doing, you know, stay in love with your career, remind yourself and look at what made you fall in love with dental hygiene in the first place. Sometimes it's not you didn't fall in love with it from the beginning, maybe, uh, you know, you needed to make ends meet and kind of like this was a low hanging fruit and it was available in your area. So after that, what made you passionate about hygiene? I know for Charissa, it was the oral systemic link and going to AOSH years after she'd been practicing that really lit a fire under her. So that was, that's her big why today. And for me, it was experiencing orthognathic surgery, you know, it wasn't really from the beginning. It was like, wow, this is what patients go through. This is how important we are to their airway, to their uh, facial structures and, and 
preventing facial collapse to their ability to chew and eat and get adequate nutrients. This is how pivotal our role is here. This is how important what we do every day is. So reflect on that often. Make sure, you know, we've, we've got to take continuing education courses. It's, you know, a legal necessity to keep our licensure, but choose CEs that are interesting to you. Don't do just ones that'll tick the box and make it so that, okay, I got my 24 CEs, like now I'm good to go. Pick ones that are actually interesting to you, that you actually want to learn about, something that you might actually want to onboard in your practice. These are the things that, that make hygiene fun and keep them interesting and keep us learning. And then on the other side, you know, we've talked so much about, you know, being mentored and choosing a mentor, but you can also start mentoring too. There's nothing more fulfilling than passing down what we've learned. You know, as Sharice and I can speak to firsthand, like we love passing on everything that's worked for us and that hasn't. And so many people have done that for us on the way here that like, it's like full circle, you know, it keeps things interesting. It keeps us growing. I learn so much from some of the people that I mentor because they're fresher out of school than I am. They have access to the newest information. Um, so remember, like bring it full circle, keep it interesting and realize that we're a part of a community. You know, it doesn't stop at any, and there is no stop. This is a practice. It's continuous. It's going to continue evolving hopefully over time. And that's what, that's what makes this so exciting. Yeah. We're, we're never going to arrive. Right but I highly recommend it as a profession. It is, it is so fun, it is so fulfilling, and it's so rewarding to get to help patients be their healthiest selves. Yeah, it, tr it truly is fulfilling. Like I know we just talked about so many of the hard things about being a dental hygienist, but it truly, truly is when you go home at the end of the day and you, you know that you used all the tools in your tool belt to help someone's life be better. There, you have given them years more of life, you've increased their life expectancy and their quality of life, you know, especially when we impact things like OSA or oral cancer or even diabetes and like, you know, uh, other things like there's so much fulfillment in that. And honestly, a lot of things that I have been fulfilled with in my career have come from not even clinical situations, but doing things like Bulletproof and partnering with other people and, you know, things that I never expected. So there are a lot of ways to make this a great career clinically and otherwise. There are a lot of different avenues that you can take. And I highly recommend it if you're thinking of, um, of becoming a dental hygienist. It's a, it's a wonderful career. I highly recommend it. Same here. All right, everybody. Well, you know, like Brittany said, if you have any questions, if you need a mentor, if you need some guidance, please reach out to us on our Mighty Network app. Um, and otherwise, we will see you next week for another exciting episode. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hedging Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.